Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Good morning, everyone. Very good to be with you. Let's uh, pray and then we're going to have a look at these words. So keep them open, please, in your Bible, whether it's a printed version or um, on your phones. Let's uh, ask God to help us as we look at his word together now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the joy and the wonder of the resurrection of you, Jesus. Thank you for the privilege that we have of living our lives this side of the cross and the resurrection, that we know the truth, we read the truth, and we are able to live out that truth. And so, Lord, as we turn our eyes now to Scripture, to these words in 1 Corinthians, would you please open our hearts and our minds, lead us deeper into your truth, that we would live our lives boldly, courageously, filled with your Holy Spirit, equipped as your saints and ambassadors to be your light in this world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I was um, reminded this week of a true story of an 87-year-old woman, uh, a woman of faith called Florrie Shaw, and uh, Florrie was unwell and she was going in for an operation and the doctors told her at the age of 87 it wasn't entirely given that she was going to make it through this operation but she did and uh, she survived and as she came to Florrie could see this sort of blurred image of of uh, the doctor who was standing in front of her uh, wearing a white gown and in response to this Florrie Uh, looked at him and said, Hello God, I'm Florrie Shaw. (laughs) And I love this story. It's a true story. And I love it because not only does it show how humble Florrie was to think that she needed to introduce herself to the Lord Almighty, but most importantly, it shows her deep conviction and belief in the resurrection. She thought she had died and was standing in front of the Lord. And it begs the question for you and me, what do we really believe about the resurrection? And what do we think it's going to look like post the resurrection? What will your body look like? How will we relate to one another? And so following on from Easter, we're going to spend four weeks in this amazing chapter of Scripture, uh, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, which is the longest sustained explanation of the resurrection of Jesus and what that resurrection means for all believers. But before resurrection comes death. And death, uh, this won't be a surprise to you, is guaranteed for us all. And we face death uh, very tragically in relationships we have with family and friends and colleagues as they reach the end of their lives. It's part of what it means to live. But death is something that our society would rather brush under the carpet. They'd rather not talk about it. It's hidden. And many people are afraid of dying. Don't worry about the, uh, the words on the screen. Um, 
many people are afraid of dying, and, uh, and actually you may be here today, and if you're honest, so are you. It was about 100 years ago that, um, I was saying this to someone recently, that um, everybody in this nation used to talk about death, and nobody talked about sex. You can see where this is going. And now, everybody talks about sex, and people barely talk about death at all. Even within the church, there's a a mixture of beliefs about Jesus' death and resurrection. There's a church not far from here that would preach that the, the resurrection of Jesus is fiction. And Paul writes here in this letter, as we've just read it, that if that is what is believed... If you don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus, then your belief is in vain. In other words, your, your belief is futile. So we're going to look at these words of 1 Corinthians 15 and be reminded of the truth of the resurrection and what it means for us and for all believers. This talk could be called the truth of the resurrection. And uh, as I say those words, the truth of the resurrection, I realise that even the word truth is debated over now. And so in our postmodern world, many would say, Well, what is truth? And is there even a thing such as, if we could go back a a slide, please, Dan. Um, What is truth? And and, and what uh, is there even something as objective truth? But the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's had all manner of incorrect beliefs. And of course, you may know this, the Corinthian church was influenced heavily by um, Greek philosophy that came in in the first century, and they taught that the, the body was essentially like a prison. And at the point of death, the spirit was released from this prison to be free. And this was then mixed up in the teaching of the Sadducees, and we read in the Gospels that the Sadducees, the Jewish teachers, didn't believe in the resurrection. And so the Apostle Paul, who, as you know, himself met the risen Jesus, writes this letter to explain to the Corinthian church and to us the foundation about the truth of the resurrection. And it seems to me, as I reread it, that he gives us these two compelling reasons why the resurrection of Jesus is true. And the first is this, if we could have the next slide, please, Dan. So the first reason is this, and it is the truth of Scripture. So have a look in your Bibles at these verses, verses 3 and 4. Paul writes, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, this is the Gospel. And I don't know about you, but if someone said, well, how are you going to communicate the Gospel? Here it is, in its simplest form. It's not complicated. This is the good news of Jesus. And Paul writes here, Christ died according to the Scriptures, and on the third day he rose according to the Scriptures. So what do the Scriptures tell us about Jesus' death and resurrection? I think some of you may have realised that sort of as I try and open up the Scriptures, I'm really keen as I equip you, God's people, to understand the full story of God. It's called the meta-narrative of Scripture, the entirety of God's story through the Bible. 
And so we're going to go right back again to the beginning of Genesis. In Genesis 1, we read about the creation. And there are crucially two events that take place each on the third day. I don't know if you've seen this before in Scripture. So on on the third day, God creates dry land, plants and trees. And so out of nothing, out of emptiness, comes life on the third day. On the second third day, if you like, that's the sixth day, God creates humanity, living beings, created out of the dust of the ground, we read, out of nothing, he brings new life. As we then read through scripture, we get to Abraham, who, as you know, is called by God to go and sacrifice his son Isaac as a burnt offering on the mountain. Scriptures tell us that it was on the third day that Abraham saw where this was to take place. And it was on that day that God provided an animal that took the place of Isaac so that Abraham and Isaac were given new life in exchange for this sacrifice, this animal. In Exodus, on the third day, and this is repeated four times in Scripture, God brings about new life for his people. He gives them a new identity. And then Jesus himself refers to Jonah and the three days he spent in the belly of the great fish as a metaphor for Jesus' own resurrection. Moving on, Hosea speaks of God's resurrecting work for Israel occurring on the third day. You see the pattern here through Scripture. The Bible is pointing us towards the climax. And so when we arrive at the Gospels, it shouldn't be a surprise that Jesus in the Gospels, across the four of them, 21 times speaks about the fact that he will rise again on the third day. But the disciples just don't get it. They don't understand There is no doubt that Jesus of Nazareth rose again on the third day, as Paul writes here in his letter to the Corinthians. And Jesus was adamant that it was the third day because he knew that this was the pattern that had been set in Scripture from the very beginning of bringing new life out of emptiness. Scripture points to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, the second uh, argument that St. Paul is giving us here, if we could have the next slide, please, Dan, is the truth of eyewitnesses. Now, I'm sure at some point in your life you have turned to someone alongside you and said, well, you know, I have to see it to believe it. And we've asked for someone to give us a, a proof of what they might believe or what they might have seen, and this is what Paul is doing here. He's building this argument about the truth of the resurrection And he now points to those who actually saw the risen Jesus. Verses 5 to 8, Paul writes, And that he, Jesus, appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And I want you to remember that that expression, fallen asleep, because as we work through 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is going to help us understand what happens when you and I get to the end of our lives. 
So when he says fallen asleep, he means asleep in Christ after this life, but before we have risen again. And so he goes on to say, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. That's Paul, the apostle. Now, Paul is writing these words about 25 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And these words, we need to remember, are being written by a man who was persecuting the church, who was killing Christians. Have a look at verse 9. And yet, on that road to Damascus, he had a powerful encounter with the risen Jesus. And by God's grace, as he writes in verse 10, his life is totally transformed. And he gives the remainder of his days to sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And so Paul writes in verse 3, What I received, I passed on to you of first importance. And what we can understand is that it probably took about five years for the entirety of this new church, this Christian community, to really believe and understand that Jesus rose again from the dead. And this truth was then passed on from one set of believers to the next. And so I'm going to get my visual aid now. Very important. You'll be astounded when you see my visual aid. Here it is. It's a baton. And effectively, Paul is saying, um, can I, do you mind if I pass it on to you? I mean, this is only symbolic. He's saying, I receive, yeah, that's more like it. Here we go. Come on, Steve. He said, I receive the gospel and I pass it on to you. And you can then pass it on. I may never see that baton again. Um, but he's effectively saying, receive the gospel and pass it on. Now, if you have a look at verses three to eight, you don't have to pass it. I mean, you're very kind. <laughs> as long as you don't bash each other over the head with it. If you have a look at verses 3 to 8, you'll see um, the word that appears a number of times. Have a look in, in, in your Bibles. Verses 3 to 8, the word that appears. And in the Greek, it's hoti. And it's, Paul is using this word like quotation marks. He's explaining the truth of what he received and what he is passing on. So he says, we believe that Jesus died. We believe that he was buried, and we believe that he rose again. And throughout the Gospels, what we see is the risen Jesus appearing to a whole range of different people. And so sometimes, I don't know about you, but people have said to me, well, I hear Jesus rose again, but who did he actually reveal himself to? Who saw him? Well, here's a list. He appears to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He appears to the women at the tomb, to Mary Magdalene, to the disciples at the lake, to Thomas, to James, to Joseph, to Matthias, to Peter and John together, to Nathaniel, to Paul, not to mention the 500 that he appeared to all at once that we read about here in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus appears to individuals to groups, to women first, which is interesting, because back in the day, a woman's testimony was not as valid, tragically, as a man's. And yet Jesus, importantly, reveals himself to a woman first. That is saying something. He appears to women first, then men. He appears in the country, in the, in the city, 
in the upper room and by Lake Galilee, on the road to Emmaus and on the hillside. Those he appeared to ate with Jesus on a beach. They touched the wounds in his hands. They spoke with him where they walked alongside him. There are very few events in ancient history that have such early and solid evidence as the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. The question is, oh no, where's my baton gone? Oh, Steve, well done. What do we do with this truth? And the answer is, here we go again, pass it on. Debs, Jeffries, pass it on. Paul says, I received and I passed on this truth. It's the gospel. And our faith in Christ crucified and Christ risen is not just a set of ideas, it's not a way of life or a political agenda. It is truth about an event that took place the death and the resurrection of Jesus, through which we now know that Jesus is alive and we can encounter him in our lives. He has overcome death and through his resurrection gives us hope in our lives. And we are called to pass this truth, this gospel, on. Paul writes here about the truth of eyewitnesses. Jesus, just before his ascension, said to his disciples as he was telling them about the promise of the Holy Spirit, because I don't know about you, but I cannot do any of this without the power of the Holy Spirit. If, it, if it's a question of what I can do without God, I am hopeless. But it is his power in our weakness. And so with the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, Go and be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so I want to finish by asking you, who might God be calling you to be a witness to this week? Who might God be asking you to pass this baton on, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, Christ crucified and risen? Someone you work with, someone you live with, next door to, a member of your family, someone you're at school or university with. So we're going to take a moment to stop and ask God. Because when I look around this nation, I think we are at a tipping point. And I feel a growing responsibility to pass that baton the gospel, onto the next generation. Some of us have lived in this country with Christian foundations and heritage, and that privilege is ebbing away. Most people out here right now are shopping. They're not in church. And the only people who are going to tell them the good news of our Lord Jesus is us, the church. And the question is, are we bold enough? Do we have that urgency and quite frankly, do we have the compassion and the love to share the good news of Jesus with those around us? 
So before we come to the communion table and remember Christ's death and resurrection, let's just have a moment of silence as we ask the Lord, who is it that you want me to share this life-giving truth with this week? And it might be the story of your testimony, it might be the simpler explanation of what Paul shares here, but Lord, show us Reveal to us. And then give us boldness in the power of your Spirit. Let's just wait on God for a moment. to pray for any of you here today who are afraid of death. Those of you who have faced death in a member of your family or friend recently. I pray that the Lord would surround you and comfort you now. Everlasting Father, envelop you, put your arms around those here this morning who, who are afraid or grieving. Father, we thank you for the good news that through your death and your resurrection that you overcame death and that As we put our trust in you, Lord, we are assured of eternal life with you. And so we pray that as we consider those around us in our lives, that we would receive a fresh empowering of your spirit, of boldness and courage, to share this good news, Lord, to share the hope of the resurrection. that we would be faithful witnesses for you, Lord. And so as we prepare to gather around your table to receive the bread and the wine and remember and celebrate your death and resurrection, fill us with faith. 
impart the gift of faith to us again today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.